thank you for that song. I could look at that picture and hear those words all day long and be reminded, how can it even be that you are our Savior? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, you are the one who rights our wrongs. You are the one who breaks our chains. You are the one who loves us so deeply that you just draw us close. I pray that you would do that today as we look to your word, Father. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak into our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to receive the message that your spirit would speak to us today. And Lord, that you would light a bit of a fire under our backsides, that when we hear your word, we just don't sit on it, but we spring forth into action. Give us energy, courage, strength this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. The other day, I was working at the hospital. Um, For those of you who don't know, I work at uh, Crozier Hospital in the drug and alcohol uh, rehab program. So I was working in the hospital in rehab, and I had a particular patient. She was 38 years old, and she came to my medicine cart, and she asked me for a particular medication that I would not give to her at that time. Now, it wasn't that I was withholding something to which she was entitled. It was that she needed to meet certain criteria, symptomatic criteria, in order to get that medication, and she hadn't met the criteria. So I offered her another medication that would have helped her equally as well, Um, in its place, but she didn't want the medication that I was offering her. She wanted what she wanted, regardless of the fact that her condition did not warrant that medication. And so after much explaining on my part about why she wouldn't be receiving that medication at that time, the patient looked at me and she stuck her tongue out at me and she stomped her foot and she stormed off to her room, and she slammed the door very loudly on the way into the room. Now, I want to remind you, at the beginning of this story, I mentioned to you that this is a 38-year-old woman. And when she didn't get her way, she stuck her tongue out at me. Mm -hmm. And all I could think as I watched all that play out is, how immature, okay? Could you be any more immature? But then I remembered what I had heard about this patient in morning report. And what I heard about her was that when she was 10 years old, she and her seven-year-old brother found their mother, who was single and raising them alone, dead in the bathroom due to an unintentional drug overdose. And this girl spent the rest of her formative years bouncing around from foster home to foster home, separated from her brother, and she never really got, it appears, the things that she needed in order to grow into a healthy and well-adjusted and mature woman. It's tragic. It's a tragic story. This grown woman acts like a little girl because it's all she knows, because it is possible that we can grow older without growing more mature. And I wondered to myself if maybe she would have turned out differently, this girl, if she would have been nurtured 
and grown effectively through her formative years? And I can't help but think that the answer to that question is likely yes. Yes, she probably had she received good nurturing as she was aging, maybe she would have matured instead of just growing older like she did. And had she been more properly mature, then maybe when life handed her difficult circumstances, she might have chosen better for herself. And maybe I then, therefore, wouldn't be treating her for a heroin addiction. I tell you that story because I want us to understand that it is possible for you and me as Christians to grow older and yet not grow mature in our faith. If you and I aren't intentional about developing our faith and about maturing as followers of Christ, then we run the very real danger of being a 70, 80, 90 year old baby Christian. I have seen many of them in my day and believe me, that is not what God calls us to be. And so we've been working through this sermon series and we've been talking about this book called The Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. It's by Robert Schnoss. I have some extra copies in my office if anybody would like to have a copy of it. You can read along as we're preaching through it. But what we've learned thus far in our sermon series is that fruitful churches practice radical hospitality. They reach out to the marginalized and those who are left out in this world and they invite them and welcome them and bring them in among their fellowship so that they too can hear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We also last week learned how to engage in passionate worship, worship that so changes us that when we are finished with it, we cannot help but to be a blessing to others. And today we're going to talk about intentional faith development. Now listen, that does not sound like an interesting topic, I swear. But you and I learned about the Leviathan together and it worked out good. And then we learned about hypocrites in church together and that was okay too. So I promise you, if you hear me out, if you bear with me, what you hear today might just change your life a little bit, okay? Intentional faith development means growing your faith. It means maturing your faith. And God wants us to grow. God wants us to mature in our faith. Why? Because we make much better decisions in our lives when we have had the opportunity to mature. When we've matured in our faith, we can better discern God's word and God's will for our lives. That's why God wants us to be spiritually mature. Ephesians 4, 4, I'm sorry, it's 4.14 says this about what happens when you and I grow and mature in our faith. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. See, God wants us to grow and mature in our faith so that we will be strong so that we will make good decisions and so that we can teach others through what we have learned ourselves. Right. So how do we grow our faith? I'm going to give you several ways that you and I can grow, that we can develop and mature in our faith. And with each one, I'm going to give you an action item. I'm going to give you something 
to do to actually make that growth happen. So this is not the sermon that you hear and then sit upon. It is the sermon that you hear and you act upon. And so I'm going to call us and I'm going to challenge us to do exactly that today. The first way that we grow, the first way that we mature is that we grow when we feast on the word of God. We grow when we feast on God's word. Now, you all know I love to bake. I talk about it all the time. I bake cakes, I bake pies, brownies, cookies, donuts, you name it. And if I could get away with it, that's all I'd make. You keep your chicken and rice because I like to bake. I don't like to cook that stuff. But I know that if all I give my family are the baked goods, which really are junk food, they are not going to have bodies that are strong and mature and that will grow properly, right? Our bodies need good nourishment every single day if we're going to grow to be healthy. Do you agree? I think you do. All right. It's that way with God's word too. If you and I want to grow into healthy and mature followers of Christ, we need to nourish our souls with the word of God. And we need to do it every single day. Every day, you and I need to be in this word of God. Now, some of you might be thinking, listen, I come here on Sundays or I tune in on Sundays and I hear you and Pastors Johnson and Joanne teach the word of God every single week. And sometimes you teach so long that I have had my fill. To which I say, touche and this. Anybody ever been to the Concordville Inn on Sunday afternoons? Oh, the brunch. Oh, the brunch. They have eggs benedict. They have pancakes and waffles and bacon and sausage and omelets and pastries and chicken and salmon and crab cakes and a whole salad table. Who wants to touch that? Not me. You could eat and eat and eat and eat on Sundays at the Concordville Inn. But what if you feasted on this great big buffet on Sundays and didn't eat another single thing for the rest of the week? Wouldn't be good because you cannot get all the nourishment that you need for an entire week's worth of growing in one great big meal. So on Sunday mornings, yes, we do join together for worship. And yes, we do hear from God's word. And sometimes, yes, it is a big meal. But If that's all you're getting of God's word, I tell you, you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow because we grow when we feast on God's word. Now, how do you feast on God's word, you ask? I'm glad you asked, though it's not that sermon series. You do six things. Now, I cannot take credit for these six things. I learned them from Rick Warren. They are stolen hot from one of his sermons from about, I don't know, 2003. And I'm going to share it with you today because I love it so much. I used to use it with our youth when I worked here as the youth leader. But if you really want to grasp God's word and have it strengthen and nourish your soul, I want you to think of your hand. You got five fingers and a palm, right? You need to hear the word of God, read the word of God, study the word of God, memorize it. Oh, I can't do that. Meditate on it, which means think about it. And then your palm is apply it to your life. Okay, so think of it this way. If you come here on Sundays and you hear the word of God, I can't even, I can't even. Okay, when life becomes difficult, you're losing it, okay? You are not going to be able to cling on to what the word of God tells you to do in life. 
So if you read it and you hear it, you got a little bit better grip, but when life gets difficult, I tell you the enemy will rip it right away. He will rip it right away. But imagine this, if you hear it, read it, study, memorize, meditate, and apply the word of God, when life gets difficult, nobody's getting this away from me. Nobody is going to be able to take from me what the word of God has taught me in my life. So we grow by feasting on the word of God and we feast by hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating or thinking about and applying it to our life. So I told you I was going to give you an action step with every growth that we have, right? Here's your action step. Here's how you put this to practice in your life. Set aside some time every single day. 15 to 30 minutes is all it takes. I don't care if it's in the morning when you wake up. I don't care if it is on your lunch break at work. Or for me, it's at bedtime. Carl and I keep a devotional on our nightstand. It's the last thing we do before we go to bed. We sit next to each other and we read the word of God. But set aside some time. Get into God's word and feed your soul. I promise, I promise you will grow spiritually. The second way that we grow is we grow when we allow ourselves to learn in different ways. Not everybody learns the same. So imagine if you went to a doctor and you told the doctor what was wrong with you and the doctor would say to you, take two aspirins and call me in the morning. But imagine if that doctor said that to every single patient that presented themselves in his office. Take two aspirins, call me in the morning. Take two aspirins, call me in the morning. That might be okay for the guy with the headache. But for the woman with the chest pain, she could be dead in the morning. That doesn't work for her. Everybody who presents in the doctor's office prevents with a different need and therefore needs a different approach to heal them. Their needs are different, so the approaches must be different. And it's the same way for you and me when it comes to our learning and therefore our growing. I am an auditory learner. I learn by hearing. I love Sunday morning sermons because I can hear it and I can understand it. That's how I learn and it's how I grow and it's how I mature. My daughter, Melissa, she is a visual learner. She needs to read it sometimes over and over and over again until it is solid in her mind. Her best spiritual growth happens through Bible study, through studying and reading the word of God alongside of a devotional. My friend Chrissy, she is an oral learner and she learns and grows and matures best by talking through, by hashing it out. She grows most spiritually through small group Bible study. See how we're all different. But then there's my husband, Carl. He says, I don't like to listen. I can attest, okay? He says, I don't like to read. And I don't like to talk. I would argue that point. But Carl is a kinesthetic learner. He learns by putting his hands on things. Do not try and give that man a set of instructions to put something together because it ain't going to happen. What you got to do is you got to put it in front of him, let him put his hands on it, and that's how he learns. But Carl, my kinesthetic learner, has grown more spiritually through mission and outreach and hands-on ministry than any other way. God knows that we all learn in different ways. And so God has provided all sorts of ways for you and me to learn. I want you to listen to what John Ortberg says about the ways that God teaches us, the differing ways that he teaches his people who have something that they need to learn. I love this. Ortberg says, God had Abraham take a walk. 
Elijah take a nap, Joshua take a lap, and Adam take the rap. He gave Moses a 40-year timeout. He gave David a harp and a dance, and he gave Paul a pen and a scroll. He wrestled with Jacob, argued with Job, whispered to Elijah, warned Cain, and comforted Hagar. He gave Aaron an altar, Miriam a song, Gideon a fleece, Peter a name, and Elisha a mantle. Jesus was stern with the rich young ruler, tender with the woman caught in adultery, patient with the disciples, blistering with the scribes, gentle with the children, and gracious with the thief on the cross. God never grows two people the same way. Our God is a hand crafter, not a mass producer. Amen to that. There are so many ways in which you and I can grow in God. Now imagine, imagine if you exposed yourself to many different kinds of learning. What if you went to worship on Sunday and listened to the sermon and learned by hearing? What if you set aside that time every day to get into God's word and learned by reading? What if you attended a small group study once every one to two weeks and learned by talking? And what if you involved yourself in a mission outreach once or twice a year and learned by putting your hands on ministry? Folks, that's how we're going to grow. That is intentional faith development. God, when you engage in these kinds of activities, when you seek to grow yourself and mature yourself in God, guess what? God does great and mighty things through you. He grows you. He matures you. So here's your action item for this one, because remember, you're not allowed to sit. Find a Sunday service. This one is just fine. This one is just fine. And Grab a devotional, find a small group study, and seek out a mission opportunity. And here's the good news. You don't have to do that all your own. I'm going to make that very easy. I'm going to make it my job to help you do those things to grow in the coming year. I pledge that to you. Sunday services, they are already in place. So you just tune in on Facebook or you just show up here in the sanctuary. And that's taken care of. The upper room is in the narthex. It is yours for the taking. And it is wonderful, wonderful for those few minutes daily that you want to spend in God's word. Now, I'm looking to line up some small groups. I'd like to get many of them in place so that you can choose one that happens on a day and time when it's convenient for you and you can engage in that. And we're looking for some service projects, one-day service projects that we as a church can come together and do and learn by putting our hands on ministry. I promise if you commit to each of those things, God will grow you for sure. The next way we grow is we grow when we develop good habits. We grow when we develop good habits. A habit is something you do regularly. You do it all the time. And so I ask you, can you commit to being here every Sunday and being present with us in worship? Can you commit to that? Can you commit to doing some Bible study every single day? Can you commit to attending a small group once or twice a month? Because when you do these things on a regular basis, they become a habit. And you and I grow when we instill good habits into our lives, when we develop good habits. Now, we have to be consistent. 
in our commitment to these new habits that we're going to make. If you commit to getting into the Word every day, then please be consistent and get into the Word every day. Otherwise, it's not a wholehearted commitment. It's only half a habit. Imagine if my husband said to me, well, I'm going to be faithful to you 28 days out of the month. I call that not faithful at all. Because if you're not faithful the other three, you are unfaithful, right? So be faithful to your commitment. Be faithful to your commitment. And be consistent. If you and I want to grow spiritually, we have to make the commitment and be faithful to it. Acts 2, 46 and 47 says this. This is how the early church grew. Every day, the believers had the habit of meeting together in the temple courts. That's church. And also in their homes. And that's small group fellowship. They made it their habit. And their church grew in number and it grew in maturity. Isaiah 6, 4-9, we heard that this morning. It's called the Shema. It is a reminder to the followers of God to make God the priority in your life. Teach it to your children. Put it on your doorpost. Bind it to your heart. Make it your priority and be faithful to your commitment to God. If you want to grow in faith, Make a wholehearted, full-time commitment to God and make that commitment the most important thing in your life. The next way we grow, we grow when we help one another grow. I promise you, I promise you that you cannot grow spiritually into the person that God wants you to be in a room all by yourself. We are wired to need other followers, other Christians. We are wired to need each other. Did you know that there are 56 one another commands in the word of God? 56 times that God tells us to do something for one another. He says, love one another, pray for one another, build one another up, teach one another, encourage one another, bear with one another. Look to the interests of one another. I won't read them all. Know that there are 56. But every single one of those 56 one another commands, you cannot do in a room all by yourself. You have to do it with people in a small group. So you can't follow these commands of God unless you're in a small group of people. In Romans 1.12, Paul writes to his fellow church members how he longs for them to be able to come together so that they can be mutually encouraged by one another's faith, so they can grow by sharing and helping one another grow. And Hebrews 10.24 says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. We grow when we help others grow. I was on a mission trip back in about 2002 with some of the youth from this very church, and one of the kids was just literally struggling with his faith. He was so angry with God about the circumstances of his life at that time. And somehow God gave me a word for this kid. And as I spoke this word that I know was not from me to this boy, God gave me an understanding of another's life that I would not have otherwise had. We grow when we help one another grow. Are you hearing? Are you hearing how important it is for you and me to be in this faith with other people? Good. Because here's your action step. Join a small group. 
Join a small group. Or if you can't find one to join, I'm going to ask you to host a small group. Start one if there's not one already available to you. It's not that hard, and you don't need to have that many people. Jesus says in his word, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am in the midst of them. So two or three friends, no more than six or eight, that, then it's not a small group, are all you need to get them together and have deep and meaningful conversation and study and prayer, and you will grow as you help one another grow. And so I ask you, will you consider hosting a small group? I will help you. I will help you with it. And it's not very difficult. You only need four things to host a small group. H, you have to like people. Oh, open up your living room and let them sit on your couch. S, serve them a cup of coffee. And T, talk about the Bible. Talk about the book. Talk about God. Notice I didn't say T for teach because that's what scares people off. You do not have to teach in order to host a Bible study. Most Bible study books, they do the teaching, and the host just needs to read the questions that are in the study guide and keep the conversation moving as the participants answer the questions and grow together. Easy peasy, isn't it? And so I'm going to challenge you, Mount Hope, United Methodist Church, if we want to grow spiritually, and I believe that we do, and now that we know that we grow when we help others grow, we grow in the context of small groups in addition to other things, I'm going to challenge us to start some small groups right here in our church and in our homes. And I will help you do it. Remember, it's not a forever commitment, but how about we start with just six weeks? It's not the rest of your life. It's just six weeks. And so I'm going to ask you, will you consider hosting a six-week Bible study? I promise you, you'll grow in ways that you may never have imagined. Is God placing this on your heart this day? Because if it is, I'm going to ask you to reach out to the church office. Or every Friday, you get an email blast, and my email is on there. You reach out to me, and I will help you do it. Let me just say this. I'm part of the Kelly Girls group Bible study. And when I need prayer, when I need good, solid prayer, personal prayer, that's where I turn. Because in a big uh, gathering like this, it's very difficult for us to focus on the individual needs of each person. We'd be here for all week. But in a small group like that, we can focus on one another's needs. We can pray. We can lift one another up. We can talk one another through and spur one another on. Let's grow together, church family, and let's do it in a small group. And the last way that we grow is we grow when we expect to grow. You need to expect to grow. You know, it's a choice. Some people choose not to ever grow up. We learned that you can, in fact, grow older without growing up or growing more mature. We got to choose to grow. We got to choose to grow in our maturity. We got to choose to grow closer to God. And we have to choose to grow in our faith. That's why this book calls it intentional faith development. Intentional faith development. And so here's my question What's your intent here? What's your intent for being here and present in this church? Do you really want? to grow. 
And if you do, what are you willing to do in order to make that happen? Jeremiah 29, 13, God says this to his people. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so I ask you, will you put your heart into your own faith development? Will you commit to feeding on God's word, to finding different ways that you can learn, to developing good habits, to helping one another? Because we know that these are the ways that you will mature and develop your faith. These are the things that will help you grow in the Lord. We know now how to grow. And so John 13, 17 says this, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you practice them. My prayer is that each and every person in the Mount Hope United Methodist Church family will in fact, practice these things, that you will engage in intentional faith development, that you will grow, and by doing that, you will, in fact, be blessed. Amen. Let it be so.